Hello and welcome to The Great Game, an Australian uh, mega games podcast. Uh, I'm Jack McMe and I'm here with my good friend uh, Patrick Doyle. How are you doing, Pat? Oh, I'm good. I'm doing good, Jack. Uh, a little bit nervous, but excited to for our first episode. Same, same. Very much excited and nervous. I am pretty psyched. Uh, so here on this podcast, we are going to be talking about mega games, um, specifically the stuff we've designed and the stuff other people have designed um, from an Australian perspective. Uh, and we'll get a bit into what that means in the future. But this first episode is uh, going to be explaining the basics of who we are, what a mega game is, uh, what is Australia, where does it come from, who are we, uh, and those kinds of questions. Just a basic intro to uh, what's going to be going on. I'm I'm personally really excited, Jack, to hear about what Australia is. I think that's something that a lot of people <laughs> have had questions about throughout the years. Um, I think why right. is Australia, when is Australia, there's, there's a lot of questions we can really get deep into. <laughs> I might throw the disclaimer in there that um, before people start um, rolling their eyes and tuning out, we're definitely sort of acknowledging, um, you know, that mega games are a, a, a very broad thing at the moment um, and getting broader as far as the activity and the hobby and the, the event goes. So we're, we're de very much giving our perspective on how we classify them and what we make of them and, and how we sort of categorize them in our minds. But um, we're always keen to hear uh, what you guys think as well. So by all means, let us know after you've had a listen. Absolutely. Yeah. Any, any kind of comments and feedback are always incredibly welcome. Um, yeah. So to just briefly get into that, um, mega games, if uh, you haven't heard the term before, are generally, uh, I, they've been running for quite a long time, uh, but they've generally been run uh, by a community in the UK. And it's only fairly recently that they've exploded a bit and gone all over the world and uh, specifically, obviously, come to Australia. And um, me and Pat and uh, quite a few other people around Australia are part of a new community of people who are trying to get to grips with, you know, uh, the deals. <laughs> what What is the deal with the mega game? How do we run it? And trying to figure out those questions um, uh, without having access to a lot of the resources of, like, um, you know, having this established community of people who've been running this specific really interesting type of game for years. Uh, so this podcast is going to be a bit about that and a bit about us figuring stuff out and uh, trying to, yeah, uh, bring you along with us. Um, so to start out with, uh, Patrick, why don't you just uh, run through just briefly, um, what kind of stuff have you been up to in terms of mega games? How did you get a brief thing of, how did you get your start and where are you now, I guess? Yeah, sure. Well, I think um, I sort of fit the cookie cutter template of, of the new generation, how they got into this. And that was with um, the infamous video that Shut Up, Sit Down did on Watch the Skies, Jim Wallman's Watch the, Watch the Skies. Um, mm -hmm. So I got on that bandwagon pretty early. And um, unlike many who did um, immediately in, I think that was 2014, um, I decided, oh, I'm going to, I want to design these things and run them and turn it into a big full-time life-consuming hobby. Um, so yeah, I kicked off in 2014 and I designed a game, um, that year based on Watch the Skies. Um, the year that followed, I, I did a second, um, got a bit more bold with the size and the mechanics. The year after I decided I'd design and run two. 
um, which including the largest gain that we've had in, in Sydney, at least under my watch, uh, which had over, I think it was almost 110 participants. Um, awesome. Yeah. And then we had a bit of a break in Sydney um, until more recently in the last couple of years, I've run two more um, originally designed games. So that, that brings my design up to six total. And um, we've also had a few cameos by other designers here in Sydney, um, like Justin and James, who we, we might talk to in a future episode. Um, yeah. So the community is definitely kind of on the rise here. Uh, but that's kind of my, my background and my into. Absolutely. And I've got a very similar story. I think it's the same thing. Um, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, basically, the reason why uh, Mega Games started exploding was a video done by the board game review site Shut Up and Sit Down. Uh, which is a great video, recommend it. Um, uh, it basically helped people understand what was so exciting about the idea of what a mega game is and why it's exciting to try and play in one. And that's where I caught on to the thing as well and started running things. Um, so I started with Watch the Skies as well. I've run that a few times now. Um, went on to design my own game, God Emperor, and um, then another one called We Are Not Alone. Um, yeah, currently, and I'm currently getting to grips with designing a bunch of stuff and uh, loving it. <laughs> and the, um, the the God Emperor that you designed, that's the world-renowned God Emperor, right? Oh, yes. It's, uh, look, <laughs> you, can't, you can't swing a cat without finding someone who knows all about God Emperor. I just can't go down the street without <laughs> people stopping me and going, oh, my God. Are you yeah. the Jack McNamee? Uh, yeah, but it, that's it, what it, I thought. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but I mean, the great thing is that God Emperor has been run uh, in a few places around the world, which is really satisfying at Gen Con, um, as well by a team in the US, which is uh, yeah, it, it's it's a really satisfying feeling and uh, mm. very lovely to see. Um, so let's get into it. Um, what are we talking about? What is a mega game? Um, I guess, all right, l let me chuck it to you, Pat, just like off the top of your head. Give me the base thing of what you think about when you think about a mega game and why that's interesting to you. Why did you get hooked? I think the thing that hooked me is the size, um, the sheer scale, I think, and, and the fact that it's real time. There's a lot of other um, uh, similar hobbies or you know activities you can engage with that have the kind of scale but they're all aided by um, you know a technology maybe not being in the same place at the same time maybe longer periods of time and just the sheer scale of having this many people in one location uh, engaging with the same content you know for an entire day uh, as it often is it just I mean I was addicted the moment I, I came I, I encountered the idea and I've just gone down this rabbit hole since. Um, I think it's great just just seeing the way people interact with it. Awesome, yeah, uh, very much the same for me. I think, um, so basically to give a very broad outline and we'll go a bit more into detail mm. specific elements to try to explain it. Um, a mega game is basically uh, a kind of big day long event where you have a large amount of people, you know, it can be up uh, 50, 70, even more. Um, who are packed in uh, and playing a game that has elements of a role-playing game, like from a tabletop RPG, like Dungeons and & Dragons. And it combines those elements with a board game. So, you know, like uh, Settlers of Catan or whatever. It, it combines those two elements to make this big, exciting uh, story that unfolds throughout the day for the, the all of those participants. And 
um, having all those different people interact and, and, and in exciting ways and the, the incredible stories that come out of it, um, that's really one of the key things that makes them so exciting is just just how much interesting narrative that comes out of it and the wild things that happen that you would never expect and just the that that kind of mass social interaction mass uh mass uh i can't even think of the word of it it's just good i i it's just, it's just you know it's just a a very entertaining time there's there's definitely a um a very emotional um and psychological uh, component to it as well that I've always found fascinating. And maybe that's just B because um, I've always been in, you know, had an interest in studying people and how they react to things. But talking to some of the people, like you were talking about the narrative that comes out of these kind of things, um, not just the narrative, but I've, you know, I've spoken to people who have learned things about themselves and learned how they manage with certain situations or stress or certain emotions or morality. And I think that is fascinating for anything that's, you know, a kind of human-based experiment. Um, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say experiment, but, uh, <laughs> you know, this kind of interaction, um, simulation is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, definitely. And yet people can get so invested emotionally in, in what's happening around them and mm. to the point where they can have these self-discovery moments where they realize, wow, I really, I should not be in a position of power. Or, you know <laughs> what, I, I'm really quite comfortable speaking in front of people when it's uh, when I'm talking about a crisis. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, there's something to be said about that that makes it quite um, an addictive experience for me just to observe people as they're changing throughout the, throughout the simulation. Definitely, definitely. And that's definitely a huge part of it, is that um, the... It's something about getting, I mean, you know, regardless of how good the rules are, how good the story is, like, regardless of that stuff, having uh, 50 people who are all really excited to be there, running through this game, doing things, trying to advance their own goals, creates this magical experience, essentially. It's like, it, it, you know, it pops off the page. It, uh, it pops out of the rules. It's... um. Uh, it's something that creates this incredible atmosphere and this incredible emotion from people that is really hard to get in other places um, for me. It's a bit of a, yeah, it's a, sorry, it's a bit of a cliche, but it really is a one, like a unique experience. Um, like, like you just said, you can't get this kind of experience exactly like this from anything else, at least from what I've seen. Definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so look, a good example, just while we're talking about this, let's talk about Watch the Skies very briefly, I think. Um, so Watch sure. the Skies is what, what the mega game that first kicked off the craze. It's the one that was featured in the Shut Up and Sit Down video. Um, after it was released in that video, uh, it, the video featured people playing through it. And after that, it was released on the um, designer Jim Woolman's website for... Um, can't remember exactly how much it is at the moment, but um, a pretty reasonable fee. You could get all the materials for it. So that is the most common mega game that people have run or played in, I would say. And it is the iconic mega game almost for most people. Obviously, for people in the UK, they've been playing for years before Watch the Skies even came along. So maybe not so much, but at least for us in Australia, that's what you think of uh, when you think of a mega game. I think that's probably true for a lot of the sort of um, communities that have spawned off off that um, that sort of 2014 video era. Mm. Um, you know, in America, in in the Asia Pacific, um, 
all over outside that key sort of UK um, hub where it all began. But I think um, uh, more so than perhaps Watch the Skies being a great game or everyone's favorite or something like that, it's probably just the most, um, it's it's a brand almost of its own now. Mm. And I think it's whether people do see it as the, you know, the ultimate mega game or the ultimate introduction to the hobby or anything like that. There's no denying like the influence that it has had as a, as a symbol. Mm. Um, and it's almost as probably an unintentional marketing tool. Um, so it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a good one for us to have a chat about if we're going to break down what it is that brings people into these kind of, um, these kind of events. Definitely. Definitely. It's like the, um, uh, you know the it's like a monopoly in terms of the board game world not i mean i mean i think many board gamers just hate monopoly so maybe maybe not as much as that but but in terms of like that's what you think of um and the designer jim Ullman, i don't believe he ever anticipated or meant for it to have that level of exposure at all so i think there are um there are definitely flaws in in the design and i i, I think that's um completely just because it was never necessarily anticipated to be this thing that would explode in the way it has. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's an exciting thing that kind of just sprung up unexpectedly. Um, so just to get briefly into it, Watch the Skies is a game uh, where aliens are attacking the Earth. Everyone uh, comes to the game in a bunch of uh, teams for each human nation. So you might be on the America team or the um, England team, the Australian team, uh, and each team is the heads of state for that particular government. Um, so you have normally a prime minister or a president, a scientist, a general, um, and a diplomat. Each turn, each of those players in that team will split up and go to a separate section of the game. Um, which the the generals will go to the war map where they're doing a bunch of stuff like like risk right like they're attacking the aliens they're rolling dice they're trying to stave off this alien invasion the scientists will go and research alien tech in a separate part of the game in a separate room usually the diplomats will go to the un where they're arguing with other diplomats to pass laws and all that kind of thing and the presidents or the prime ministers um will be able to um, basically trade, talk amongst each other and do espionage, that kind of thing. And so uh, I might just jump in there and say, uh, you know, as under the, the idea that we're trying to um, use this example to try to in induct people and explain ourselves and what we're talking about and mm -hmm. what this, what these kind of events look like. Um, in, in, in physical, literal terms, we've got um, the war game that Jack just mentioned, that's the board game. That's where you're moving pieces around on a map. It's where there's tokens and dice involved. It's 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 like, um, it often looked like a game of risk or something like that, especially in the case of Watch the Skies because you're looking at the planet Earth. Mm. Um, the science game is a, is, a, is a bit of a mixture. It's more of an, well, in the traditional rules, I have to say I haven't, I haven't read um, the updated rules, but in the top, from the, my memory, the traditional rules, the science game was kind of like an improv class uh, where yeah, people absolutely. had to speak on, on subjects that they had to sort of invent um, on the fly and come up with ideas or proposals and they would get awarded points, you know, tokens that they could use in other parts of the game based on, you know, the, the clout that they got from giving those speeches. And, um, and then you've got the diplomatic game where people would go into another room and they would debate things. They would, it's almost like a model UN, 
um, yeah, exactly. or maybe the real UN, given how much discourse there is and <laughs> how much uh, arguing. But, you know, yeah. they would go and they'd try to make agreements on things and debate things and try to influence one another, and it's a really politically stimulating role-play kind of environment. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that com- that kind of establishes what I would say is possibly the second or third most important element of a mega game, I would say. So the first one, we would say large number of players. We've talked about that. Um, but I would say the game is typically split into separate sections, which are like separate mini games almost. Um, except given that a mega game is 50 players, they're just separate games. It's not a mini game anymore <laughs> at that stage. Mm. But, um, uh, yeah, and so what that means is that every turn, your four players on your team will split up and go to their separate sections and do things. And then at the end of the turn, they will return and they will have uh, some amount of team time where they have to stick together and talk and plan what they're going to do for the next turn. And then they'll split up again. Um, and that's really important for a couple of crucial reasons. Number one, obviously, if you had a, lot, a game that was this size, like 50 players, and they're all going to the same section of the game every turn. You've got like 50 people who are all getting around the table every turn. Um, most of those people are not going to have something meaningful to do necessarily, right? Like, you know, there's five people on your team. All five people are going somewhere. Maybe you get lost in the shuffle. But with this model, um, it means that if you're the general for the USA, you are the only person who can advance the USA's interests on the war map. You're the only person who's doing that. So you're all um, communicating and working together, but no one, ideally, no one gets um, in a situation where they're just being overruled by other people or a situation where the prime minister is just telling everyone exactly what to do and all that kind of thing. Um, And the second thing I think that is big is that um, it makes the entire game hugely about communication, which is huge in mega games it's like an an incredibly huge and important part of it it's about typically the mechanics themselves like moving around the ships or the units in the in the war map they're pretty simple it's all about talking to your prime minister and your scientist and your diplomat and figuring out what they're doing and making sure that you align and that you're all working towards the same goal and typically you won't be to be honest like like usually often (laughs) you will like completely fail to do that and you'll end up in a situation where the diplomat comes to you and he goes oh listen like i've just made this great peace treaty with russia and you're like what i just bombed russia and you know (laughs) it all falls apart yeah it's funny you should say that um because i feel like the this det- one of the key staples that holds a lot of these games together, and maybe this is a good point to give the disclaimer where this is definitely Watch the Skies as the example, but um, the roles and the jurisdictions and the way things work, they vary so greatly between these kind of games, uh, which is kind of what we're going to go into. But in Watch the Skies specifically, and I find in a lot of games um, like it, there's always a leader role. Um, and what you what you mentioned about uh, communication being sort of the crux of it, the bottom line of everything that happens, it's often hard to explain to some people who've never come along to an event that as the leader, all they do is is communicate. They just, they make decisions and they make sure that their team's getting along. They make sure that information's flowing well and they make sure that they have all the info that they need themselves to make the decisions that, that are before them. 
And when you consider this game is about, um, you know, sometimes it's being sold as a role play or sometimes it's being sold as part of a uh, political simulation or sometimes as a board game, um, that leadership role isn't well packaged into any of those. It's actually, you know, you don't need to be pretending to be someone else. You don't need to be indulging yourself in these complex mechanics with dice or cards or methods of doing things. All you need to be worried about is the, the narrative that's happening and your role in it as a decision maker and accepting that your decisions um, might have major impacts on the people around you and the game around you, which is really a unique it's a really unique um, characteristic of, of mega games, I think, of having someone with that much power yet so undefined, really, from the get-go as far as mechanics goes. Definitely. So I've always found that fascinating, and I feel like that kind of role is always a staple in these kind of games in whatever form they might take. Um, there's always someone with... Um, there's always sort of a power hierarchy in how far people can go with the kind of decisions that they're making. Definitely, definitely. And there can be different hierarchies or different ways that the team is organized in in different games, but often you will have someone who's the leader. And that doesn't mean that person is like uh, overruling you or taking your turns for you or whatever, right? It It's just because that communication element is, that's what the game is about, is about information. It's about like 50 people are doing a bunch of stuff. What is the stuff I need to know? what's going on and how can I distill that and pay attention to that? That's, yeah, that, that's, that's really a huge part of it. And um, yeah, and it's, it, it sounds almost, it, unless you've experienced it, it might even sound, uh, it, it, it's a concept that de- definitely doesn't exist in, in board games as much, I would say. Like typically a board game, you represent your entire team and um, you're just, doing the things that you want to do. There's not usually a bit where someone goes into a separate room and plays a separate game and then comes back and they have to tell you what went on in that game and you need to yeah. coordinate that with all the stuff. You know, like, yeah, that's that's usually not that. But that communication role is uh, really exciting. It, it turns out to be um, one of the most interesting and exciting and, and fun parts of the game. Like, um, as a person who ran Watch the Skies... Uh, as a control person, that's what we call the moderators who are helping to run the game. Um, the thing that like, I found the most fun is uh, just reading the newspapers as, as they come <laughs> in. Um, because there's a, so one of the other parts of Watch the Skies is that there's a press team whose entire job is just to report on what's going on, which is that information and communication element again, right? And just getting these mm. newspapers, which we had printed out each term, which the team, the press team is making and and um, dropping on the desks of the heads of state and everything and finding out what, you know, what Brazil has been doing or that Australia has been making super soldiers or whatever. That's mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. one of the most fun elements of the game. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. It's a, it's a really unique... That was one of the things that when I first saw Watch the Skies really drew me in. I have to say the media the media element where there's actually people, real people, who have their own agenda and who uh, fill in this role of someone who's trying to gather the news and mm-hmm. circulate information in a certain way, maybe with, you know, like a, a certain goal in mind. And observing that players were actually... Um, so much without time on their hands that they actually had to 
take that as real news and they had to get their information from that because there was no other logical way to do it. And the information in there, whether it was accurate or not, was important for them to fulfill their role in the game. That was just a, a mind blowing revelation for me because like, again, when you compare these things to board games and, and role playing games, which, you know, the more we talk, the harder it is to do that. Um, yeah. But it's just so it's so far removed the experience that you get when you're actually looking at a piece of paper that someone's just printed out and given you, and you're taking it as fact about this world that you're living in for the next few hours. It's just it's bizarre. That's right, and that's part of what helps people get wrapped up in in what's going on and and the atmosphere and the story of of the moment. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So let's keep. Uh, so we're going to keep going through. We've got a few of these co- more core elements which we're going to talk about, which we think are kind of some of the key parts that make a mega game. But I did want to briefly just call out um, that we're not here to gatekeep what a mega game is or isn't, right? Like, we're just here to explain, here's what we will be talking about on this podcast. Um, and part of what makes mega games interesting is that they are so wild and woolly. There are they're this hybrid between board gaming and role playing. Um, they've got all these different uh, ideas. We're talking about Watch the Skies here. But there are a ton of mega games that have completely different structures and they, mm. they're, they're modeled completely differently. Um, so we're not here to say like, oh, no, you're, you're not a mega game or whatever, right? But mm-hmm. um, and, and so we're just going to explain these elements. Some mega games will have these more or may have these less. So some mega games may have less players. Some mega games may have more. But uh, generally... I would say these are the core elements. And that might sound a bit woolly and a bit out there, but I, I guess it's just kind of a weird woolly genre anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's by all means it's it's one of those things where you don't really fully understand what this all is about until you go along. And even then you might come back out reeling, knowing that you love that experience, but you still don't know exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um no but, one can yeah. explain the mega game too. <laughs> exactly. That's why that video is so damn good. Um, it's the yeah, closest exactly. thing you can get to experiencing it. But 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 yeah, by all means, we can't capture uh, every definition. But um, I think um, I think most games have a lot of things in common, and that's what we're trying to cover. And um, I think if people have a listen to this and they learn a bit about mega games from this, and they decide that they want to pursue it. Um, our ideas and our discussions are only going to evolve as we go. So this is this is Mega Games 101, um, you Completely. know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, so the next point I'll cover, uh, as we've discussed, Mega Games are a hybrid of a role-playing game and a board game. Um, now, different games will lean heavily on one side of the spectrum or the other. It's It's a spectrum, right? Some games might be more heavily mechanical. Some games might be more heavily... Uh, role-playing and the line is not clear there the line between what makes this a board game what makes it not a LARP it's not completely clear it's a it's a big fuzzy spectrum of where you want to land I'd say um, the big thing that separates uh, even the most role-play heavy games from LARP usually is that players don't typically have a character you don't mm. typically have a character sheet and you're like, well, I'm going to be playing Grace Stormwind and here's my stats and I'm going to speak in character. Um, you are playing yourself in a bizarre situation. Um, so with Watch the Skies, right, you'll you'll sign up and you'll have a name tag which will have your name on it. And it's like, well, what would you do if you were the president of America in this situation when aliens have landed? What would be your moves? What would you do? Um so it and 
Um, so it's usually that. Usually in a mega game, they usually aren't victory conditions in the way that a board game has. It's usually not like, um, you know, you get to 10 territories and then you win the game. It's about the story, typically. and that, But that, again, that's something that changes in different games. Um, but these are the general things that we're going to be talking about, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I might just do a little community plug there when we're making reference to the role-playing and the fact that we're not... You know, usually you're not fulfilling a character in these games, but you're fulfilling, you know, yourself in a role. Um, Tony from the Sydney Mega Gamers, who's pretty active in the community, uh, actually tried to put pen to paper on that idea um, last year. And I guess shout out to the Mega Game Assembly. They, they published a blog by him um, where he tried to term this new phrase called Play Believe, which is it's not quite always putting yourself in the role, but it's definitely accepting you're not fulfilling a character where you're trying to lull yourself into um, believing in what's happening around you in order for you to make decisions or take action. Um, and I thought it was a it was a very apt sort of tap on that idea of mega games straying into role-playing game territory. Definitely some people take that to a different level than others, um, even within the game. So in one game, you might encounter people who are role-playing, which is which is fine as well. It fits the, it fits the category well. Um, and then you'll, you'll have others next to them on their same team even or across the table from them who are just trying to wrap their head around what's going on and trying to act in the logical manner in which is sort of guided by whatever briefing material they got beforehand or just who they are. So Absolutely. I think it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a really it's actually a really important part of these games um, that that spectrum that different people are fulfilling their role on because it actually adds a lot of flavor to the experience. Definitely, and that's a great point to call out because um, often you will have some sections of the game are more mechanical, like the war map will often be uh, more focused on the mechanics and the board game aspect and um, the risk kind of stuff or, or that kind of thing. And then often you'll have parts of the game that are for role-playing uh, gamers who are like in in the Watch the Skies example, the UN is a lot like that. It's, it's all about talking, role-playing, diplomacy, acting like it's a real place. And the rules are very minimal. Um, yeah, so typically it, you can have, um, even in the same mega game, it can vary wildly along that spectrum. And there will often be some people who really want it for those crunchy rules aspects and some people who want it um, for those role-playing aspects. Um, yeah, but to me, I guess where I land on that is um, the fact that the role-playing stuff is backed up by some element of interesting, like, you know, board game style or, or simulation style rules. Uh, that's what interests me about the format, that there's some kind of crunch there in terms of the game and the strategy to it. Um, but it is mostly about building a story out of those rules. And also um, having all these different components, I found also really broadens the audience, um, the potential audience that you might bring into these things. I know Definitely. that when the Sydney group started up, we had a lot of sort of young people who were students into role-playing, into board games, that kind of thing. But it quickly grew into a lot of, um, you know, getting a lot of people of different age groups and demographics. A lot of people in the education area, um, like the industry, or a lot of people who were just really into politics or mm. even people from sort of the creative arts um, in theatre sort of um, part of the world. So, like, it, it, it opens up avenues for a lot of different people to be involved in different ways because 
the different mini games as you described them and the different mm. roles people are doing are so diverse like there's so much happening you need the right fit for everything definitely absolutely yeah it's great um the next thing i'll i'll go into the next core element i guess is that they are run to time usually um so watch the skies for example it's an eight hour event and turns will be uh 15 minutes at the at your section so for example if the, you're the general uh you'll spend 15 minutes 15 minutes at the warm up and then go back and spend 15 minutes at your team table uh usually that isn't actually like a crunch of like a real time aspect where you're running back and forth um like trying to do everything as fast as you can like you might in a board game that has that element like if you're playing a game like space alert which has a real-time timer and you're doing things as fast as you can uh normally it's not about that what it is about is having a constant momentum to the game um that there's never a moment where you're waiting for people to take their turn or moments where uh things are slowing down grinding to a halt uh anything like that there's a there's a constant momentum to it things are constantly progressing and it does contribute it it's first of all from a logistics perspective it is necessary in, in order to get it all done in time uh second of all it's um gives this atmosphere that time is moving forward uh things are happening and the world is is moving uh without your say so if that makes mm. sense yeah yeah i think that's really important um with watch the skies for sure it's very regimented and i think a lot of mega games have followed that model i've definitely followed it a lot um, others, others branch out, like um, in some that I've run, there has been the pressure of time, though it's been in real time. So the, the clock is always ticking and what you do in that time is important. Um, and then there's, sometimes there's a bit of a hybrid where people, um, are, there are turns, but it's less defined what you do in them. But I think the key there is really what you were saying about the pressures of that time. I've never been um, to a game either run one or, or being a player in one where you feel like you have some spare time on your hands and you're just lolling around and being able to think think critically or strategically, that doesn't happen. And I think that's important. Like that's, that's <laughs> part of the experience. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, yeah, absolutely. The uh, The time element, it's it's it gives you this perspective that you're wrapped up in a crisis. And... I think this is probably a good time to mention that mega games can be a pretty intense experience, right? Like, like we, which it should be pretty obvious by now. And I think that's that's one of the things that perhaps we'll talk about as we go on. It's really important um, for the organizers to do everything they can to support people through that experience. That can be, you know, it's a it's a mass social game. There's a lot of social interaction. There are elements where you might feel pressure from other people. There's other players. Time is moving forward it feels like a crisis simulation in a lot of ways. It's mm -hmm. you know, stuff is happening. You're wrapped up in this crisis and sometimes you might make the wrong decision and you'll just have to live with it. And yeah. the fact that it's focused on the, on the story and the narrative of what goes on, I think is what makes those elements feel good <laughs> instead of just feeling like, Oh shit, I, you know, everything's gone wrong. It's all, it, it's all fallen apart. Um, in my experience, uh, at least when I've run games, typically if people have uh, moments where they've made mistakes or things haven't gone well for them, it's kind of an exciting story to see how that progresses and how they can 
get out of it, I suppose, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And like the narrative of what's going on is is the interesting thing. And because there's no victory point number that's like, oh well, we we've got only got twelve victory points out of forty. You don't have this experience where you're like, well, we're we're two hours into this six hour game and we've pretty much lost the game. Mm -hmm. Like you know, it's not a about that it's like oh geez australia's been taken over by mutants what are we going to do about this one you know it, it's those <laughs> kinds of things yeah i i totally agree and i have to say on that uh this is probably something that we could delve into down the track a bit more in, in depth but the players really make these things and the attitude people come into it um, with is really phenomenal in that um all the games that i've run and been involved in i've seen a lot of people who probably didn't have a great sort of outcome um, at the end of the day as far as gameplay goes. But I've never seen anyone give up. Um, like you said, people people realise that they're, you know, in quotation marks, losing um, or they're not achieving their goals or they're getting, you know, um, picked on by other teams, you know, in the, in the spirit of the game, um, other nations or that kind of thing. But um, they never really give up. They've always got these grand schemes. They've always got a new idea. They're always sort of talking to new people and trying to get things going. Um, it's really, it's it's almost inspiring. <laughs> but I think yeah, it's, it it's, it, it's 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 the nature of the design in some ways that the people. Um, it's not like you said. It's not like a board game ever where you reach a point where it's just not worth continuing, um, which I think is great. Um, Absolutely. And uh, look, a lot of that's about the community. And, you know, I feel really um, blessed with the community we've um, had in Brisbane and the players we've got um, that it's always been such an awesome, friendly experience. And that's like, you know, uh, the uh, person who is organizing uh, uh, the game needs to take a lot of responsibility for that, for cultivating that environment that people aren't you know, yelling at each other or whatever like that. Um, but the thing that has been really wonderful in the mega games I've played in, the one I played in uh, with you, Pat, in Sydney, and um, uh, the ones I've run in uh, in Brisbane, is that it's been a stressful situation in some ways. There's been a crisis. There's things going on. But I've typically you see everyone unite in the face of that crisis to some extent. The team comes together. Because there's this aspect of information, I'm not sure what's going on. Everyone comes together and they're talking, they're helping each other. And there's like these great moments where people just go, yeah, like we did it. We did whatever it was. We managed to, you know, maybe we've gotten crushed by the aliens, but we managed to shoot down this one saucer and like, that's awesome. And you <laughs> feel the generals high-fiving around the war table. And, and yeah. that's what makes it work. If it was a stressful panicking situation and you just hated everyone you were playing with, it mm. wouldn't but um because i mean and you know this is a lot about the people the messages you put out the people who come all that kind of thing but because everyone has been so awesome and welcoming and friendly it creates this this wonderful um just happy environment that um and typically you go to the pub afterwards or um hang out with people and, and swap all of the crazy stories that happened to you over the game and, and just laugh with like the other players and go, Oh my God, I, I can't believe it was you who secretly poisoned our thing. <laughs> all that kind of thing. I think that's the big, big core concepts. I mean, and the last one I think, which, which we've already run over is that there is a team of moderators 
who are typically called control members who run the game. And how many people there are depends on the game. Um, I haven't seen a mega game that could be run by one person, but it might be out there. Um, but, but what that adds is the role-playing element that typically uh, the way it works is that um, uh, you can, you've got the elements, you've got the rules, but you can also at any time go to the moderator and say, hey, listen, I'd like to try out this crazy plan or this crazy tactic and see if it works. And they'll typically say, you know, okay, I'll need this many resources or you'll need to roll this die and get this result or whatever. Um, and based on that, that's how the role-playing element work. It'll, and based on that, that's what will determine whether it succeeds or not. So a good example is, you know, you're the general, you're really doing it tough in the war map. You ask your scientist if the scientist can create a mega space laser on the moon. Um, that's not something that's been in the rules at all, but the scientist does it and talks to the moderator and they go, yeah, awesome, why not? Let's do it. And you create that space laser and it's an awesome moment for you. Um, yeah, so that's why the moderators are important is that element and also the information element that there's typically a lot of stuff that's hidden from you and a, and a lot of stuff that um, you need to figure out over the course of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I've always um, in, in sort of talking to people who haven't been to an event before, I described the moderators or the control as kind of referees or umpires, as well as uh, kind of helpers like aides. They're there to um, make sure you're having a good time as well as knowing the rules and being able to answer questions and, and point you in the right direction. Um, I think a big unsung part of that job, the control job, is helping people who get stuck, people who throw up their hands and they're not sure what to do next because they've hit a, ro- a, dead, you know, a, a dead end or they've run out of resources because of whatever reason or they just they have a, sol- a problem and they have no solutions. There's always someone there to sort of poke some ideas toward them. And I think, um, I think when you're talking about board games or other sort of competitive games, video games, uh, anything that's really rigid, that idea is quite foreign because it's, mm. it's kind of like people feel like it's it's cheating or or it's, you know, getting help. Um, but I think it sits side by side with that fact that there's not really victory conditions and that where, like you've been saying, it's all about a story and it's important that everyone gets to play their role. And if they do get stuck, that's that's not their problem. Um, the people running the event are there to help them to make sure that whatever whatever day they're having, whether it's still, you know, there might be still three hours to go, that they can be involved in some way and they can help them solve those problems that they've got, they're having. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really unsung role that is just kind of accepted. That's what they're there for. And uh, people don't often, um, I I, I know I certainly don't often acknowledge that as much as I I probably should. So um, it's a really helpful little caveat to what these games are like, where you're, you're not going in blind, even if it's your first time when you're with a bunch of strangers, there's so many people there and they're going to push you, push you along to help you out. Yeah, and make sure you're having a good time. Absolutely. And I think that role is um, possibly even more important than the role of, of just adjudicating the rules. And um, mm. typically I've had, you know, um, one or two people who are just there for that to kind of answer rules questions, help people out. Um, you know, if, if someone... And because I make a game, it's 50 people or more. It's, it's, it's a ton of people doing a ton of stuff making sure that like, you know, basic health and safety, um, that people are comfortable, that they're having a good time. 
that is key. And because like we just mentioned, that so much of it isn't even necessarily about the rules. You can have fun in a mega game that might not have the most polished rule set ever. It, it's about the people and the vibe and the atmosphere and the friendliness that they bring. And so that, and you know, maybe we can talk about this in another episode. So I won't go too far into it, but that the people role uh, is really huge. Um, and I'd say that's ultimately, we've talked about these different aspects, but just like, just like any game, right? The, the people are what makes a mega game what it is and what makes it so incredible um, when it's, mm. it's from well and when it when yeah. explodes off. Absolutely agreed. All right. I, I think we've covered it pretty well, Pat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we've been... A, so that's a bit woolly on some aspects, you know, and you might be thinking, well, it sounds a bit like a live-action role-playing game or it sounds a bit like that. And that's because it is. It's it's a fuzzy genre, right? It's it's a hybrid. It's, it's like... Um, it's like defining... Um, a a board game in terms of like well you've got some board games that are played using cards you've got some tabletop games that have no cards you've got some that use dice and some that don't all those kinds of things right it's a bit muddy and it's a bit messy but it's i hope we've been able to kind of explain like what makes them exciting at least yeah absolutely i think um it's an ongoing debate like we like you said early on um there's this spectrum that these things sit on um, with how they are designed, how they run, how many people are involved, how long it takes, um, really how much role-playing there is or how much board gaming there is. And that spectrum is getting wider and wider. And I think it's growing and growing and bleeding into all kinds of things like interactive theater and LARPs and space activation kind of work. So the, 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 the term is getting really broad, um, which is great because it only opens up what we do and what people would associate with the name mega game when they're thinking about things like watch the skies, it just mm. opens that up to a broader audience. Um, but in general, I think we're, we're in agreement that we're looking at something that has a large number of people. Uh, it's got that role play or the board game element, even, yeah. Uh, even though it varies drastically, um, how much each part of the game goes into those things. It's split up into little mini games or sections or jurisdictions where people go and do different things. Communication is key. Um, people all have their own role and their teams that they're, that they're fulfilling throughout the game. Usually time is a big factor, um, that time fresh that we talked about. And um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of people helping facilitate and help people along the way. I think we kind of, I think that's kind of uh, a good summary, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I think that's awesome. And again, uh, just to be clear, like this is coming from our perspective, Australian perspective. Um, we don't have the the background of um, having played in these things for years that other people do. Uh, this is what we've experienced um, uh, from reading online, watching videos, um, you know, playing in other places uh, when we can. Um, but it's us, you know, figuring stuff out as we go as much <laughs> as we do anything else. Yeah, this is a, the worst time, you know, 40 or so minutes in to give the disclaimer that we're not experts. Um, we're just a couple, <laughs> couple of guys having a chat. Um, but no, I should. I want to. I, I want to say, you know, once we've 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 done all that, we've talked through it. I think we're both on the same page. So, Jack, like, what's your? How do you single like a singular description of what a game is? What what is it to you? What do you? How do you sell it to people as like an elevator pitch or as a as a as a one one liner? 
Sure. What I, I'm terrible at doing this, by the way, but usually <laughs> what I say is that it's a big, uh, crazy game event you um, where you get 50 people together over the course of the day. Um, it's a combination of a board game and a role-playing game. And the point of it is to run through this really awesome kind of crisis simulation where you get this amazing story out of it about what happened, uh, all these interesting things that happened and and how exactly it ran on the day. Uh, and, and, you know, you end up uh, going to the pub afterwards and exchanging <laughs> all these incredible stories uh, about who did what. And, yeah, it, it's about the narrative. It's about um, the communication aspects. And it's about how awesome it is to enter a room with 50 other people who are super excited to do the same thing you're doing. Yeah, perfect. I think that was one sentence. It just it had a lot of commas. It's very, but, um... it's a very long sentence. It's not exactly. Well, it's an elevator pitch. Look, it's a long but, elevator ride, but totally. we get there in the end. We did. I did, and I actually think you ta- you you touched on one thing that I think I would like to believe is one hundred percent part of every mega game, and that is this social affair that happens at the end, usually at the pub. Um, where people really get to unwind and debrief on law, and it's 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 definitely sort of a given, I think, especially with Australian um, games and how we run them, and it's sort of assumed that it's going to happen. But I think it's actually a really really important part of the experience, and I always um, it's always a pity when people aren't able to make it to that after event because I think that's when all the magic happens, and you you get to you get to know you know your your rival all day or someone that you. You kept seeing yeah. things happen regarding that person, but you never actually interacted with them or you get to hear the big story behind one of the, the big announcements where it just came out of the blue and bit you on the ass and you had no idea what was going on. It's where it all unravels and everything hangs out and everyone's just relaxed and unwinding and the energy there is amazing. And I think that's like, it's like the instant gratification reward as a designer, I have to say, um, or as someone running an event even. Uh, just getting that moment of... of everyone unleashing their their thoughts and their feelings from the day it's it's really good yeah it's definitely one of the funnest parts of the game as a designer is is seeing mm. all these people just happy and laughing about the thing <laughs> it's it's yeah, really great yeah. awesome well i think that's that's a good moment to to finish it off there so this is our first episode we're going to be continuing on um we're going to uh, the basic structure we're going to be sticking to is we're going to have one episode like this where we talk about a part of mega game uh, theory where we talk about for example like um the different sections of a mega game like here's what the council stuff is normally like and design decisions that go into that um here's how to get a venue for mega all these kinds of topics in theory um and we're going to interspace those with interviews with uh designers from australia and and around the place depending on how mm. we go and uh so the next one episode uh, is going to be one of those. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I should just say we'll we'll probably be bringing in a lot of guests um, as we go as well, whether it's interviews or not. We're keen to talk to people to get the full spectrum of experiences, so from the players to maybe even control members who aren't dabbling in the design world, but they come along and get involved and they've got their own perspective, um, as well as the designers, like you said, Jack. And um, and then when we have these conversations as well about how we how we do things on our end, we want the community to be involved. So um, by all means, if we're um, if you want to reach out and suggest something that you'd like to hear us talk about about our process or about how we how we do things in Australia, 
um, or you'd like to come on and have a chat with us about a certain thing, just let us know. Um, but um, yeah, regarding the interviews, um, so I think next um, next episode, we're actually having a chat to um, the Melbourne Mega Gamers um, about the one of the events that they ran late last year, Watch the Skies, uh, as they kind of entered the Mega Game Arena and just hearing about their experiences in uh, that little watershed moment. Um, so that should be really good. Yeah, uh, super excited for that one. That'll be great. And yeah, I want to call out to anyone who's listening. Um, uh, thanks for getting through the first episode. Appreciate it. Um, if you have any comments, any any disagreements you have with us, um, would love to hear those. Um, now, I'll just run through where you can find us. Um, so you can find my stuff and uh, God Emperor is for sale online um, at, ja- at uh, ashtowngames.com. And you can contact me personally at uh, uh, the email jack at ashtowngames.com. Uh, uh, how about you, Pat? Yeah, absolutely. You can you can find me and, and my gang through the Sydney Mega Gamers. Um, so we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, we're pretty responsive on both. We have um, sydneymegagamers.com where we, you know, um, put some blogs and info about our games and that kind of thing. Uh, so you can reach out through any of those avenues and, and get in touch with the with the with the, with the group. Absolutely, awesome. Yeah, and so if you have anything, um, anything, and again, not experts here. If you have any disagreements with us or definitions, <laughs> definitely let us know. And I'd, um, one of the things I'd really like to do going forward is have a little section at the end of the show where we talk about those kind of comments and run through them and reply and all that kind of thing. And yeah, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I, I think that's that's us. a wrap i think um that was that was good jack uh i think thanks for everyone who does listen to this very much appreciated um yeah it's been fun yeah thank you um yeah and uh uh to everyone else have a great rest of your day and uh keep mega gaming (laughs) yeah we'll we'll work on the catchphrases (laughs) uh yeah we'll we'll figure that out in the future